we've had a change at the Women Offshore podcast. New episodes will now be published every Tuesday. So on whatever platform you listen to our podcast, check back in each Tuesday for a new episode. Thank you to OGGN, our podcast network. They are the ones publishing the show and always providing us with great resources and guidance to support the intent of this podcast. Today is the start of another sexual assault and sexual harassment miniseries. We believe in continuing this conversation for change. We're going to have a different take on this, though, than what we have done in the past. This time, we're going to shine a light on stories from women in the yachting industry. Before we get going, this episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. We advise listener and reader discretion. This episode contains a story related to sexual assault and harassment. We do our best to hold these topics with sincerity, and we hope you'll listen in only when you feel ready and able. Check the show notes for support resources, and please take care of yourself. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. At Women Offshore, it is the sea that unites us. Our community is made up of women from different sectors and backgrounds. I know from talking with many of them and many of you tuning in that we have similar challenges, whether you identify as a merchant mariner, offshore worker, fisherman, yachting professional, you name it. No one else knows what it's like to be a woman offshore unless they have been a woman offshore on some type of vessel. Sexual assault, rape, and sexual harassment don't just exist in one region, sector, industry, academy, or organization. Sash knows no gender or even flag state. It is up to us all of us across the globe to make a difference and speak up for our shipmates and against unwanted behavior on board. In the past, we've spoken a lot about SASH, meaning sexual assault and sexual harassment, first behind closed doors at events, then we brought it to our social media, our virtual events, and podcasts, and we believe at Women Offshore in the importance of continuing the conversation for change. It's in the data and the stories that we can collect, that we learn and we grow to be better advocates. Victims are heard and policies are put into place. Today, I have a Me Too story for you from the yachting industry. It's part of a relatively new underground movement in the yachting industry, and we will learn more about that in the next episode. Before I begin with the story, though, I wanted to say that if you have been a victim or a witness to sexual assault or sexual harassment, you are not alone and can take action today. We encourage you to report such matters to your employer, academy, or union as per their guidelines or directly to the U.S. Coast Guard through their TIPS app. I will put a link to reach the Coast Guard in the show notes. It can be hard to speak up, but it is a necessary step 
in seeking help and breaking the cycle of sexual assault and sexual harassment. In the story you are about to hear, I'm going to read it, but it is not my story. I want to make that clear. The victim in the story wants to remain anonymous, and the names in the story have been changed as well. For this podcast, it is not about who, it is about what happened, because this story is similar to ones that exist in our community across different sectors. I have heard similar accounts on different types of vessels, not just yachts. Listen closely to the words. Ask yourself, what can you do in the industry to prevent sexual assault and harassment at sea? to a yacht crew website and come across an interesting ad. The captain and his girlfriend are on an island. After a few messages exchanged, we agree to meet. And so I meet this couple, Tanya and Gary. They are enthusiastic and pleasant. Their boat is finally ready after months in the shipyard. I also meet their teammate who has just arrived. The energy is good. So I embark for a small crossing of three to four days for the next island. The crossing is going pretty well, despite the terrible seasickness that overwhelms Tanya and one of our other teammates. Once arrived, I spend a few days on board and then I leave the boat. Gary and Tanya already have a complete crew for the rest of their adventures. I continue mine on my side. However, sometime later, Gary calls me. He tells me that the agreement went south with their new partner and suggests that I join them for the rest of the journey. There will be two team members until the next archipelago, then one of the two will leave. We will be four for the big crossing. I will have a single cabin for the whole journey. I take time to reflect upon this proposal. I got along very well with Tanya, and she's a good travel companion with whom I really like to chat with, laugh, and talk with when she's not seasick, of course. Gary is sometimes rigid, like a control freak, but most captains are, it seems to me, at the time. I accept and embark on this next step, which is going well overall. Tanya is not in great shape. She suffers again from seasickness during the almost five days of navigation. She is also sad because she left the island where she is from and her family for this floating adventure. She confesses to me that she does not like the boat, but she loves Gary and she decided to follow him in his dream. Christmas passes. We eventually have a last-minute team change, which turns out to be a lucky one because we get along very quickly. After a collision with the captain because I refuse to let him dictate my life when we are at the dock, control freak, I told you, we are ready for the big departure. The first few days are going pretty well. Tanya is not too sick. A steady wind is blowing in our sails, and after a few days, we have picked up the pace of long sailings. Gary relaxes, begins to trust Pascal, the new teammate. Then we face a few days of heavy weather. Tanya is struck down again. She does not get up anymore. She can't eat without difficulty, and we have to insist that she gets enough hydration. 
We are all three concerned about her. Night shifts are modified. I am now replaced by Gary in the middle of the night. One night, Gary comes on deck complaining of a stiff neck. I inform him that I have oils that could relieve him. He replaces me at the helm and I go get them. I suggest that he takes the helm again while he takes care of his neck. We don't have an autopilot. He asked me if I would agree to apply the mixture to him. It will be fast. No worries, no ambiguities on my part. I comply without a second thought. He thanks me and I go to bed. A few days later, Tanya is a little better. She resumes her night shifts. She replaces Gary. I am in a deep sleep when I am awakened by a hand which caresses my forearm, head, and the nape of my neck. I quickly open my eyes and push away the stranger. Gary is sitting on the edge of my bunk. I do not understand. I ask him if there is a change of wind, if he needs us for a maneuver. He answers me in the negative. He claims to still have a sore neck and wants me to massage him. I tell him to take the bottle in my toiletry bag and to manage by himself. I don't understand his request. I'm still in a sleepy limbo. He caresses my face and whispers in my ear that he would like a massage without oil so that Tanya doesn't feel it. I understand. I physically push him away and tell him it's out of the question. I firmly ask him to leave my cabin. He runs. Sometime later, here he is again. I sit down and ask him what he's still doing there. He tells me that he does not understand what is happening to him. He tells me he likes me, that he wants me, that I remind him of his ex, that he needs sex because Tanya is so sick that he feels a sexual energy that emanates from me and plunges his head in my neck, clings to me, and tries to kiss me. I push him away again and try to reason with him. He is wrong. He loves Tanya and shouldn't project his desires and frustrations onto me. I firmly ask him to leave my cabin and to never come back. He apologizes and leaves. I am disgusted. I didn't expect this kind of behavior from him. I'm mad. How dare he jeopardize this harmony that we have achieved? Why does he break the bond of trust in the middle of the ocean? I feel trapped. I want to yell at him, but I dare not. I'm afraid of Tanya's reaction if she found out. She's already in so much pain that I dare not imagine her reaction if she knew of his actions. I don't want Pascal to know either. I'm afraid of creating a crisis that could put all four of us in danger. I only fall asleep at the next shift change. Pascal is awake at the helm. Tanya joins Gary. He can't try anything more. The following night, when Gary comes to replace me, I am very cold towards him. He wants to talk. I tell him that I don't want to. He apologizes for his actions and thanks me for my wise words. I'm going to bed. I imagine the story is behind us. I avoid Gary as much as possible without it being too obvious. I want nothing to show, though, until we reach land. Tanya again experiences a period of intense seasickness. She lies down day and night. Our shifts are getting longer. 
I regain some confidence. Gary tries to spend more time with me. He joins me shortly before his shift, sits down beside me, and confides in me. I keep a very neutral tone and try to make him aware of his stupidity. He extends my presence at the helm, claiming he has tasks as captain. He comes back, asks me if I'm still in good enough shape to stay at the helm while he recovers a little before replacing me. I accept. I'm doing my part so that the three-people shift isn't too heavy for Gary or Pascal. He sits next to me. We exchange a few words about the sea conditions and the wind. And like nothing, he runs his hand behind my back, sneaks under my clothes. I ask him to remove his hand. He does. He apologizes. I'm very upset, though. I ask him if he is joking. I thought he understood that his actions were inappropriate. He makes excuses, puts the blame on me. I'm too sexy in certain situations. He cites a lot of mundane occasions when I felt safe to act without feeling like my body was being watched, sexualized. I'm disgusted. I leave him at the helm and I go to bed. The rest of the crossing goes smoothly. The euphoria of the arrival is spoiled by a violent dispute, though, between the couple. We tried anchoring four times because he was dissatisfied. Anchor dropped too quickly. Not enough. Not quickly enough. In the following days, I leave the boat. I can't wait to discover the beautiful island we've arrived at. And I am so relieved to be away from Gary. It was quite hard to record this episode. It took a couple tries for me to get this done. My heart goes out to the victim, as well as all victims of sexual assault and harassment. The story I shared with you, though, isn't finished. We will come back to it next episode. And like I shared earlier, explore an underground Me Too movement in the yachting industry that is standing up for sexual assault and sexual harassment victims. Thank you for listening to the Women Offshore podcast.